to be honest with you, I just couldn't use them as a, as a sermon illustration because none of us would ever go near the sea or a boat again. I mean, we'd all stay, you know, so, so far inland. They were all, they were all pretty scary. Uh, paddling pool in the future, to be honest with you. They were, really were quite, <laughs> quite scary. Um, so so I, I decided not to, to go with, with any of that. Well, there is a lot, isn't there, going on in this passage. Uh, seas ranging, God's throne, his laws, the, the world. Uh, I was reminded, if you were here a couple of weeks ago, and when Graham opened this series, I was reminded about the sermon from that. Um, a, a lot of, a lot of uh, discussion of, of, the, of nature, and the, and the mightiness of God being displayed in nature. A lot of repetition, uh, in the same way in that psalm, a lot of parallelism. You see the same words being used there over and over again. Um, and so we're going to explore that this afternoon, get a sense of what the, the writer was trying to express and how that matters to us today. Uh, we're going to look at uh, the, the majestic king, the mighty king, and the unchanging king what we're going to look at today but before we get into the text let's just let's just pray for a moment heavenly father you are the god of all nature and when we see the mightiness of uh, storms and the sea and uh, the unchanging nature of the of the rocks under our feet sometimes uh, lord we are reminded of you uh, surely all of nature points towards you father you we pray that you would uh, open our, our eyes today to your mightiness, to your majesty, as we just sang about, Father, and as Jai was saying, Lord, we pray that these would all be your words and that nothing here would be coming from me. Amen. So, uh, if you've got your Bible, let's uh, dig into that again and go back to the beginning of Psalm 93. Uh, verse 1 and 2 and really talking about the majestic king what can we what can we learn about that well I, I think the the author of this psalm uh, by the way we don't know who that is it's not recorded who that is it's not exactly recorded when it was when it was written uh, but they they seem to be thinking about four four attributes of God four, four things about uh, God that we can say are are true the first thing is is the majesty of the Lord. He's majestic. What do, you, what do you think about when you hear the word majestic and majesty? You know, do, you think about, do you think about kings and queens? You know, someone with a, with a crown? Uh, someone surrounded by you know, flunkies, you know, advisors and security and, and, and all these folks. You know, people in smartly dressed suits with a little thing in their ear to tell them, tell them what's going on. Uh, maybe somebody dressed very well, not necessarily just kings and queens though, is it? Uh, some people have a charisma of their own. When somebody uh, perhaps walks into a room, they, they don't need posh clothes to show how, you know, to how it carry a certain charisma and majesty, majesty of their own. Uh, they don't need the advisors or the crown, you know, they carry a certain something about themselves. They walk into a room and and they have a, an impact. They have, they, have a, they have a presence. 
Some people want to believe that when they walk into a room they have a presence and a certain thing, and they don't, to be honest with you. They really don't. They try very hard and they try to, you know, you know why isn't everybody looking at me? You know, um, perhaps because they, they don't have that underlying certain something, that underlying certain something that brings, brings majesty, perhaps the gifts or the abilities or, or whatever, whatever it may be. In the book of Job, uh, God talks quite a lot about this. In, in the book of Job, in Job chapter 40, God is speaking to Job and he says this, Do you have an arm like God's? Can, you, can your voice thunder like his? Then adorn yourself with glory and splendour and clothe yourself in honour and majesty. It's really making the point that, yeah, it's all very well to maybe want to be Majestic, but if you can't actually pull it off, then uh, that isn't going to be the point. And when you when you think about the, the majesty of God, nobody else can pull it off in that way. Uh, and that is in one way because of his, the second attribute that the the speaker is talking about. You can see there still in, in verse one uh, that the Lord is is armed with strength. The Lord is strong. Our God is strong. In one way, that goes with the majesty uh, that. Uh, you know, if God is majestic and his appearance in that way, that's partly because the strength is backing it up. It's partly because he is a, a strong God. He's not one of these folks who appears majestic, but there's, there's nothing underneath. No, no. He has the, he has the strength that goes with it. Uh, I don't know about you, but when I was a kid in school, uh, there'd be a lot of Kids who'd sometimes make a lot of noise in the playground, you know, oh yeah, you know, oh, I'm a big lad, you know, whatever. You know, my dad's a policeman, whatever. Uh, you know, look how big and strong or whatever I am. But, and they acted quite tough. And some of them you knew were tough. And some of them you knew were just talking the talk. Uh, there was one kid, I, I, I was trying to remember his name. I want to say his name was Jonathan Dickinson. I might have got that wrong. Uh, something like that. He was a, a lovely guy, a lovely kid, really quite humble and lovely and, and funny. Um, and, and not someone who, you, when you first met him, that you thought was a tough guy, you know. But trust me, he was really a tough guy. He was a very strong young man. And uh, one day, this other kid who thought he was a tough guy thought that he'd, he'd have a go. You know, he thought he was going to have a go at Jonathan and that he'd have a fight with him and it'd, be all, it'd all be okay. He learned that David really did have that, excuse me, Jonathan really did have that underlying strength that we're talking about. I mean, he got absolutely pooned by this kid. He really did. Uh, so sometimes there's that strength that underlies uh, majesty. If you don't have the strength, the majesty is a, a sham. It's not. It's not uh, what it should be. And God is the ultimate expression of that, isn't it? God is the ultimate expression. The the underlying attributes of God: His holiness, His strength, uh, His grace, His mercy, are matched by an external majesty. Are matched by. Uh, as something that says, yes, this is your God, and this is your God who should be worshipped and praised. Not only that he has those attributes, but also that he 
uses those attributes as well. It is not just that he has holiness and strength and mercy and grace, but he uses them, uh, which makes him all that more majestic. A guy called Henry Beecher said, Greatness lies not in being strong, but in the use of strength and how you use that strength. And this is why strength and majesty are, are I guess, tied together in that way and in this, in this passage. Uh, but also tied together with strength and, and majesty is, is something else, and that is uh, the idea of being unchanging. Uh, the word in, in the passage here used a lot is established. Really the sense of that is unchanging. When it says that your throne was established long ago, it means that it, is, it has been unchanging from long ago. Uh, when it says that uh, the world is firmly established, it means it is, it is unchanging in that sense. Uh, it, it's a word that really thinks about permanence and uh, the fact that uh, God's throne is permanent, it is unchanging, it is established uh, the world is permanent and unchanging and established uh, his statutes, it says there look verse 5, your statutes stand firm, you know these are things that have been established uh, and are permanent uh, Psalm 24 says the earth is the Lord's and everything in it the world and all who live in it for he founded it on the seas and established it on the waters. You can ask me afterwards why that might be an important verse today. Uh, the uh, kingship of God, however, was established before the world, uh, and it is unchanging. God has always been the king, he is always going to be the king. Uh, he has not changed as our human societies have changed. Uh, he's not changing in the way that the seas are changing and that's why it talks about the, the seas in verse 3, the seas anyone live near the sea? anyone live near the sea? we know Arthelin has anyone, anyone else live near the sea? the sea is changing all the time, moment by moment the, the sea changes, it's never the same it's never the same one, one moment to the next, God is the opposite of that, God is unchanging, he is uh, always the same, yesterday today and forever uh, we do not have to know him afresh at each part of, in each part of history. He's the same God that Adam and Eve knew. He's the same God that the Apostles Peter and John knew. He's the same God we can know today. The same God that we have. And as well as being unchanging, related to that, he is also eternal. He has been like that forever. Look in verse 2 there. Uh, you are from all eternity from all eternity, as God has been king over the world forever. Do you remember the band, and we're going to see a little bit of a pop quiz here, looking out here, some of you folks are going to get this. Do you remember, do you remember the band Eternal in the 1990s? A girl band uh, featured uh, Jamie Redknapp's wife, didn't it, and, and some other folks. Uh, had, a, had an album, Always and Forever. Uh, how ironic is it, with a name like Eternal, that they split up in 2000. You know, I mean, I mean you know, yeah, you'd think they'd be going forever or something, but no, they were only around actually for a few years. Not sure what was eternal about that. God is not like that. God is not, he doesn't have the title eternal and then he's not eternal. No, he lasts forever. He is a God who was there before the beginning of time and will be there 
at, at the end of time. Uh, in the way that the eternal band split up, God will not split up. Father, Son and Holy Spirit does not have some kind of falling out with his recording company and split, split up. God, Father, God, the Son, God, the Holy Spirit will always be together. Let me just, let me just go off on a little sidetrack here. Have you ever considered, you know, so looking at those words there on the screen, which are some of God's many attributes, have you ever considered how much of his nature Jesus had to conceal when he came to earth? It was necessary, but, but he had to veil that majesty. He had to, although we saw it from time to time in his miracles, I suppose, he had to veil his true strength. Had to veil his, inter- his, his eternal nature. Uh, and yet that was the purpose that we might get to know him uh, and get to, through him, understand the whole nature of God. And that was only for a short time. After the cross, then perhaps the apostles started to really understand some of those things. That he was ancient of days, even though he had been born in a stable. That he was strong, that he was majestic, holy, eternal. Talking about Jesus in Isaiah 53, it says, uh, like one from whom men hid their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. In part, I suppose, that's a reflection of his hidden attributes while while he was on earth. But so what? So what? Okay, that, that is, those are the attributes of, of uh, God and that is uh, well and good and we can see that in, in verses 1 and 2. Uh, but we can see then in verse 3 and 4 that there are forces in opposition to this king, in opposition to God. And this is the, the second point as we think about the mighty king verses 3 and 4 there. The seas have lifted up, O Lord, the seas have lifted up their voice the seas have lifted up their pounding waves but mightier than the thunder of the great waters mightier than the breakers of the sea the Lord on high is mighty so although the king is mighty the seas are shouting and raging and pounding they are, they are in opposition to the king uh, some of you may know that the seas the idea of the seas and the ocean in the Bible was often used to represent chaos or, or forces that were in, in opposition to God, uh, particularly in some of the books that were more poetic in style. Uh, compare the changing nature and the infirmity of the seas with the solid and the steady and the lasting nature of God. Uh, both in the present and in the future, the sea is uncertain and unstable. God is not. He is solid and stable and, and he is lasting. He's a rock for us now. We sing sometimes, don't we? We sing here uh, on Christ the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking stand, sand. sand. Um, that idea that, that Christ is the solid rock, that God is firm and comparing that then to the seas. Um, the seas are, I think you could say, rebelling they are lifting up their voices and they are pounding. I think anyone who lives near the sea, a couple of you put your hands up there, will tell you that when you're on the beach in the summer and you're paddling or you're you know, paddling with your ice cream and your shorts rolled up, you know, or, or you're uh, 
a bodyboarding or whatever you might be doing, that it's not necessarily the only face of the sea, uh, that it can be deceiving and show actually incredible power, in, uh, just enormous amount of power is in the sea. I was seeing that on the RNLI website this morning. Uh, and, and one of their points is that many of their rescues come about because people have forgotten how quickly the sea can change and how powerful it is. Just to give you an idea of that, that is the power of the sea and what it does to somebody's house. Uh, it can absolutely, uh, that wasn't totally next to the sea, but uh, in the right storm conditions, it can completely and utterly destroy your house. Uh, it's very scary to be faced with a raging sea. Uh, when you're there, it is, it is hard to imagine things stronger than that, particularly, I suspect, if you were in the house. Um, that is when you're glad you are on dry land, I think. Uh, but I think the sea represents, represents two things here. Uh, the first is that the world is broken. This is, our world is broken. We know that from Genesis chapter 3. The world is not supposed to be the way that it is. I'm not just talking about uh, pollution or the damage that we do to the land. Uh, but the fa- even the fact the world can can kill us or damage us was never meant to be that way it, it seems wrong to us and it is wrong there's an echo there in our hearts that the world is not supposed to be this way one writer suggests that the, the chaos of the seas in one way represents the history of the world and the rising and the falling of nations and the way in which countries come and go and how God triumphs over that Uh, You can get a sense of that if I read to you from Isaiah chapter 17, verse 12. It says that here. Woe to the many nations that rage. They rage like the raging sea. Woe to the peoples who roar. They roar like the roaring of green waters. Uh, And I think that that secondly, I want to suggest to you that the roaring seas can, can represent us in one way. Um... Have you ever raised up your voice against God? Maybe in in anger? Or even just contradicting what he said? Have you ever struggled against what he wants for you? Are you trying with all your strength to do what the, the Bible says you're supposed to do? and then in actual fact find yourself trying with all your strength to do what the Bible says you're not supposed to do. Maybe justifying it to yourself. And this is the bizarre thing, you're justifying itself even though you know what God wants for you is actually good for you. And even though you know what God wants for you and that it is good, you still try to justify doing something else and going another way. It's mad when you, when you think about it, isn't it? It's mad when you say it that way. And yet we all do it. We know that God wants to bless us, uh, but because his way is, is sometimes hard or painful, or maybe even just doesn't give us pleasure immediately, we want something else. Uh, isn't that... 
you know, isn't that just like little children? You know how little kids are like, you know, can I have an ice cream? And, uh, and, you're, and you're like, no, you can't have an ice cream because you will not want your tea if you have an ice cream. You know, if tea is in half an hour, you don't need an ice cream. And, uh, and uh, even kids know that's true. You know, they know, yeah, I know that because I've done it before, I know that if I have an ice cream, I won't want my tea, and it's really important to have my tea and my veg. And yet you're like, and, the, and yet they're like, well, I want an ice cream, you know. And yet we're like that, aren't we? We do that. We, we, we are like, yes, we know God wants to bless us and yes, it's sometimes going to be hard, but, but maybe I could just do that now instead. Maybe I should just do that now. It's like, no. We've all raged at God. At one level or another, at some time or another, we've all tried to change our world to make it the way we want it rather than the way God wants it. We've all tried to make the world the way we want it rather than the way God wants it. And that could be through, through word, through, through raising our, our voices. You can see that Caesar are lifting up their voices. Or through deed, you know, through you trying to use our own strength, the idea of the, of the pounding waves and trying to uh, you know, change something by force. We know it's wrong, and yet, and yet we keep doing it. And that is what we call sin. But we think we can cope. We think we've got it under control. Maybe we'll just listen to his call later and do that later. But right now we're going to do what we want to do. Uh, we'll come to some arrangement with God. Have you ever heard someone use that phrase? Yeah, me and God, we've got an arrangement. Yeah, I'm not a Christian, but we've got an arrangement. What are you talking about? What do you mean you've got some kind of arrangement? You can't, you can't negotiate with God in that way. Uh, or perhaps we feel God owes us a period of rebellion you know Lord I've had a tough time right now and you know you need to give me some space you know you need to give me some space give me, give me a couple of months where I can really go off the rails and then I'll come back to you uh, we try to persuade God to our point of view we all do it can I suggest to you that at that point we have forgotten how mighty he is at that point, we have forgotten how scary our God can be. Why are we thinking we're doing that? Look again in verse 4. God's voice is louder than the seas. His voice is louder than the world. His voice is louder than the devil. God's strength is stronger than the pounding seas. He's stronger than the world. He is mightier than us on every level. In every way, he is the mighty king. He should just crush us. Have you ever thought of that? He should just crush us where we are. He is perfectly entitled to. He, and when you think how we behave, uh, you could totally understand it. If he did, who are we that we should pound and shout against such a majestic and mighty God? He should just wipe us out. But rather than doing that, rather than just crushing us, he came up with a much better solution. Although it was one that would cost him far more, he sent his son, Jesus Christ, into the world, into the midst of those raging seas, figuratively, and he lived a life of perfection, doing God's will. Instead of trying to change the world to what he wanted, he said, no, what 
my father wants is the pattern for this world. Let's do that instead. And as part of of living God's will and part of trying to, uh, instead of, as well as living that God's will, he died for us, uh, taking the pain and the punishment we deserved, stepping into our place, taking that crushing. He took the crushing weight of God's anchor against all our shouting and our pounding. If you've never heard that before, or you've never accepted that before, then now is the time to do it. Because trust me, God is mighty. Mightier than you can know or imagine. Mightier than anything. It would be absolute madness to be crushed when there is an alternative. Today is the day of salvation. Today is the day to turn to Jesus Christ. Well, let's continue looking in this passage. Let's look at verse 5. Your statutes stand firm. Holiness adorns your house for endless days, O Lord. This is the unchanging king. Again, established here, we're thinking of as being unchanging. Uh, From one point of view, it cannot be moved or destroyed. One writer suggests that, that the phrase, holiness adorns your house, refers to the temple in Jerusalem at the time of David and Solomon, but also prophetically that it's applied to Jesus himself. Uh, He refers to himself, doesn't he, at one point as being the temple. Uh, And let's face it, it would be true to say that Jesus was adorned by holiness. Uh, But we can see there in verse 5 that God's law Uh, God's will, we can say, are eternal and unchanging. And this is really important. This is really important, I think, and very relevant to us today in 2015, here in Rotherham. Because we live in a culture, in a society that is a designer society. It's a consumer-led society. You know, years ago, if I wanted a coffee and I was in perhaps in Sheffield, by the Sheffield bus station. I'd go, into a, I'd go into a cafe, because there weren't really any coffee shops at that point, so I'd go into a cafe, and I'd order a coffee, and I'd get a coffee, and I might be told that, you know, if you don't like sugar, don't stir it, uh, as it was passed over to me. And, and that was all fine and very good and, and we enjoyed that and it was a good coffee and if I didn't like sugar I didn't stir it and if I did I did you know uh, maybe I would have you know the, <laughs> there was a there was a greasy spoon calf on uh, just opposite on Broad Street in Sheffield it's closed now it's now Butler's Curry House I think and they used to have on the counter just an open vat of lard and they would, and you'd say, you know, can I have, can I have uh, toast dipped in lard? And they just get a slice of toast, dip it in lard, warm lard, put it on your plate. It tasted fantastic. Yeah, I mean, all my arteries must have just walked out of the room in protest and sort of hit the bag. But oh boy, it absolutely tastes absolutely superb. You just want to get away with that. What do we do now? What do we do now? We're going to a coffee shop first of all, instead of a, a cafe. And we might order an uh, iced, skinny, caramel-flavoured latte, 
or something like that. Uh, only, to, only to be asked, you know, something like, uh, do you want yak milk from a sustainably reared yak as part of that? Uh, you know, we might say yes. And then to be asked if we want uh, milk from Himalayan yaks or Andean yaks, if there are such places. Uh, if you're not sure where your Andes are, by the way, ask me after this. Um, and I'll tell you that old joke. Uh, it, it seems we can customise everything. It seems we can customise everything in our society. And, we're, and that's great because we want to define the world. We want to define it in the way we want to. We want to define our world to reflect what best suits us. We want our society to reflect our desires and needs. And it seems that our society wants to help us do that. And it's fine for our coffees or our cars or whatever it is. That's fine. That's great. However, that is not fine for our morals. That is not fine for our relationships with each other. That is not fine for our relationship with God. Why? Because the fundamental way God wants us to live our life is the same. The same yesterday, today and forever. That is not customizable. That is not changeable. That is not something that becomes old-fashioned or out of date. It is because you do not need to improve on perfection. You do not need to improve on something that is totally right. It is not up to us to say what is right and wrong. It is not up to us to define or change God's rules. That is not our place. People say, say society has to be relevant, and absolutely it does. People say the church has to be relevant and to change with the world, and absolutely it does. But not everything changes. Not everything has to change. We have seen that God does not change. He is established. His holiness is eternal. His statutes, it says there, stand firm for endless days, O Lord. The gospel does not change. The Bible does not change. Let's face it, our human nature does not change. Someone was telling me that for many philosophers, the Second World War came as a huge shock because the assumption that philosophers had made over the first part of the, the century there was that the human race had improved. The human race had changed and grown and become more mature. They put aside some of the let's call it what it is, sin that uh, had perhaps taken place in earlier, earlier periods of history. And so the Second World War was a huge shock because it was totally clear that that had not happened. That our human nature was just the same as about a millisecond after that apple was plucked off the tree. And it hadn't changed in that way. These things of God are true for us. They are true for Abraham. They are true for the Apostle Paul. They are true for Moses, for King David. They were true for our grandparents. They will be true for our grandchildren if we have grandchildren. 
Yes, of course, we can present them differently. Of course, we can present them using different languages and idioms. If, if someone, uh, like we, we talked about uh, Charles Spurgeon a couple of weeks ago or Jonathan Edwards, if they stood in front of you now, they would be telling you things not dissimilar from this. The language would be different. I mean, you know, uh, 17, whatever it was, 18th century New England English would be very different to ours now, I'm sure. So that's okay, but when we start to change their content, we are taking the role of God, and that is not our place. Sure, present the gospel using different languages, or hip-hop, or opera, or ska, with puppets, videos, on your smartphone, with skywriting. You know, it doesn't really matter in one way. What matters is the content. What matters is the gospel. What matters is Jesus. What matters is the Bible. That we don't change. Your statutes stand firm. Holiness adorns your house for endless days, O Lord. Dear friends, brothers, sisters, do not believe that you can raise your voice and pound your fists and somehow change God. Society may say it's okay to lie. It is not. It may say that adultery is okay. It is not. It may say that all you need to go to heaven is to be good. It is not. It may say that gay or lesbian sexual relationships are okay. They are not. It may say that benefit fraud is okay. It is not. It may say that disengaging from society and living in your own little world is okay. It is not. It may say that life is all about you and what you want. It is not. It is not. Turn to God. Turn to the one who has created you. How many of you... Some of you will have been babysitting, I'm sure. Some of you will have been babysitting at somebody's house. Do you go into their house and, and sit down and decide to redecorate the front room? And, and halfway while you're there, you're, you're decorating the front room. I wanted it in green. This pale blue doesn't do it for me, you know. I've decided, you know, they come from home and you're like, you know, they just change it. So like, what? Yeah, that is not your house. Why do you think you can change it? This is God's world. He has created it. These are, these, this is God's word. He has written it. Why do we think we can change it? Why do you think we have responsibility for that? We are stewards of these things. To look after them, yes. But not to change them. We need to look to our God. Our God has, has created uh, the world, it talks about there, the world is firmly established. He has given us the Bible, everything we need to know. Turn to him. He knows our name. He knows your name. He has always known your name. He has always loved you. He has paid a staggeringly high price to save you. Nobody will ever do anything as precious for you as God has done. Nobody. Nobody will ever love you as much as God has loved you. Turn to him. He knows better than you. He knows yourself better than you do. He knows that life can bring you something which, whilst not always easy, whilst not always, whilst sometimes very costly, 
is incredibly valuable and incredibly worth it. Turn to this majestic, strong, unchanging, eternal, loving God. Let's pray together.